0: Welcome to Peak Tales, a conversation about chromatography. Now here's your host, John.
1: Good day, everyone. Welcome back to the Peak Tales podcast. Today I am joined by Rita Steed in an episode we're calling So You've Messed Up Your HPLC Column. Before we get started, I just wanted to give you a quick program note. We are looking for feedback from you. That's right, from you, our listeners on ideas that we can include in future Peak Tales episodes. So the way you do that is just go to our email node, and that is peaktales at agilent.com, and send me a quick email with some of the ideas you may have on topics for HPLC and GC separation that we might be able to address here on the podcast. Again, that's peaktails at agilent.com. And now, let's meet Rita Steed.
0: Thank you, John. Um, So just a little bit about me. I'm a protein chemist by background. I've been doing that for more years than I would probably like to admit. But my current role, I am in tech support here at Agilent. In my role, I hear a lot about the types of problems that we're going to be talking about today, and that was why I wanted to do this particular podcast. So we're going to be focusing on column maintenance as the title indicates what hap- What happens or you know, when you mess what up your do column, I do right? if, I, if, if I mess up my column. Sure. So when you're seeing problems with your columns, it may be peak shape issues, you may have retention time shifts, or you may be seeing high back pressure. A key part of recovering an HPLC column from things like this is understanding the nature of the contamination and choosing the best solvent to remove it.
1: So you mentioned something there. You mentioned contamination. What are some of the possible sources of contamination?
0: There are a number of sources, but um, they're often strongly retained substances that might be in our sample matrices, Uh, things like lipids or proteins surfactants or a number of other things. It can also be um, on occasion things that come from our mobile phase. The key part of this is to identify um, what you think the problem is and go from there. When you're getting started, one of the important things to do is remember that um, you have junk on your column. You do not want to flush that through your detector, so it's a good idea to take it out of the flow path before you start to clean your column. And then you want to start focusing on how to do that.
1: Yeah, so there are a couple of different ways. I mean, I've heard about reversing flow, and why don't you talk a little bit about that?
0: Okay, well, a lot of times it is a good idea to reverse the flow on the column because when you build up contamination on a column, it typically happens in the at the very top of the column, about the top half to one centimeter of the column. If you reverse the flow, then you're just flushing the junk off at that point versus running it all the way through your column. Good idea, though, always check with your column manufacturer to make sure that it's okay to run the column in the reverse direction. So now let's take a look at some ideas of what you can do to clean up your column. A simple situation is going to be if you've been running an isocratic separation where you have fairly low percent organic, in a case like that, you can simply try flushing your column with higher organic, whatever one you're currently using. If it's methanol, go with methanol. Or acetonitrile, just start with high acetonitrile. One cautionary note related to that is to make sure you flush the column first with like say five or 10 column volumes of your mobile phase without any buffer salts in it. So you replace the buffer salts with your water. The last thing you want to do is hit your column with high organic and precipitate out buffer salts so if you are using a doing a gradient separation you're going to follow that same path to start with of flushing the column with your mobile phase minus your buffer salts to make sure again that you're not precipitating out any buffer salts then the idea is to start flushing with um, higher organic if you're working with methanol. Certainly, 100% methanol would be something to go with, or acetonitrile if that's where you're starting with. Increasing your solvent concentration or and um, and the solvent strength is how you're going to bring things off the column. And um, a lot of there are a lot of different solvent choices out there. Oftentimes, the column manufacturers will have suggestions in the guidance that comes with the column, so you can certainly refer to that or there can be like a general recommendation of, um, again, methanol, acetonitrile. Isopropanol is stronger than the um, acetonitrile. So if you're not getting things cleaned up, you might want to try isopropanol or even a mix of acetonitrile and isopropanol is a good idea, especially if you're seeing high pressure because um, isopropanol is more viscous. The last thing you want to do is create an even greater pressure problem by hitting your column with uh, with 100% isopropanol if you already have a pressure problem. So that's a good idea. Then if you're still not successful in recovering your column, you may need to go to something like uh, methylene chloride or hexane. One thing to keep in mind if you're doing something like that is the miscibility of your solvents. Going through isopropanol on your way up to something like methylene chloride or hexane is um, a good idea because there it's miscible um, with both of those as well as your more aqueous related components so you do that on the way up but always be sure to flush with isopropanol on the way down as well these are some general guidelines but again checking your manufacturers guidance um, in the column guides or that that come with it is a good idea great
1: I mean those are all great suggestions and you know I know some some people actually have little written protocols so mm-hmm. that everyone in the lab kind of does the same thing. And the order of solvents is listed out there just so that it's not just in someone's memory <laughs> and Excellent. they forget to tell someone. Yes. So, so you yeah. might want to think about, you know, just putting this little card near where you store your columns or, or something where, where you have your protocol so that everyone is pretty much doing it. Uh, the same way. One thing I wanted to touch on is uh, biologics because you know that's oh, yes. a, a big area nowadays, yep. and uh, there's different types of contamination that goes along with uh, biologic products.
0: Right. So yeah, biological samples are a common source of of contamination that builds up on columns. If you're if you're doing like plasma samples or something like that, uh, proteins are certainly one of the main types of contaminants that are going to come from our um, biological samples. You can try flushing the column with the higher organic, like we've talked about, but oftentimes our peptides and proteins are not soluble in, um, in the higher organic, so that may not bring them off. Then you need to look at other um, types of ways to, to try to bring them off. Sometimes you may be able to add buffers to organic and that can help bring them off. But there are also um, acetic acid, TFA, different other, um, types of things that can uh, help solubilize those proteins and bring them off. You can also go to things like guanidine and urea. If, you're, if you feel you need to do something like this, so it's really important to get the guidance from the column manufacturer to make sure that your columns are compatible with those types of conditions and get good guidelines uh, and instructions on how to do that. That's the type of thing that we can help with um, and there are a lot of good references out there that can help you decide how, how to move forward with something like that.
1: Right, so the last thing you want to do really is uh, damage your face, <laughs> right? Right,
0: exactly. Yes. By
1: putting something on that column yep. that really is incompatible with it. So do your homework a little bit in terms of what the manufacturer's um, recommendations are. Uh, certainly, if you're using Agilent HPLC columns, you can give us a call. We'd be More than happy to kind of step you through what, uh, just you know, step you step you through some of these uh, solvent iterations, and then also mm-hmm. you know, for from a column to column. Um, standpoint, you know, what's an appropriate set of sol- solvents. So you always have that access to us in many different ways on the web via email, uh, you know, talking to people directly like Rita uh, to get that in- information. So we're not expecting you to memorize this all today yes. as yeah. we're going through it. It's more of an introduction to say, hey, you know, this is something that I need to think about. So there's an old expression, Rita, about an ounce of prevention. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um and so what, what are some of the things that we can do to prevent the problems, prevent having to, to actually clean our column?
0: Right, right, that's a really good um, thing to discuss. Of course, as you said, the best thing is to prevent it. One of the things to keep in mind is that, again, your sample that you're working with, your sample matrices, if you're doing a lot of injections with something that you know is building up contamination on the column, Flush the column periodically with, say, high organic before you start to see those uh, peak shape issues or pressure buildup. And that will help, will make it a lot easier to clean the column to start with, but also reduce the chances that you're actually going to damage the column from this contamination.
1: So, would you suggest uh, you know, just putting that in whatever protocol you're running? Right. So that right. after X number of injections, I mean, you exactly. determine. Uh, what that number is, of course, so that after X number of uh, injections, you're going to just go through this protocol of flushing, and here's how we're going to flush. Right. and right. And, um, yes, it may take a little more time on the back end, you know. Right. But uh, the throughput that you're going to save on the front end of not having a messed up column will be huge.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And the idea that um, if you f- you know do that flush of five or ten column volumes with your... Um, mobile phase without any buffer salts in it and then flush with a higher organic. It may only take five or ten column volumes in cases like that to, to just get rid of that contamination that's built up and then you start back. And like you said, it can be you know maybe after you find out that after 150 injections you've got pressure problems, so back it off and, and maybe flush the column at 120 after 120 injections. But there are also some other things that we can do. Um, Think about inline filters, guard columns, sample prep, those types of things that can help um, protect our columns as well. We're not going to talk about sample prep today, but I would like to say a little bit about guard columns and inline filters. Guard columns are something that um, a lot of people think that's going to save them from any problems with their columns. You need to keep in mind that a guard column is not a magic device that is gonna take the place of good column hygiene. It can, however, prevent um, irreversible adsorption to your column. Remember I talked about contamination building up at the very top of the column, so in a way you can think of a guard column as a replaceable top part of your column. and That's a lot less expensive than having to replace the column. So this is a good way to prolong the life of your column. You can also um, think about um, the, the guard column can also help pr- catch some of the, the debris and stuff like that. That might be coming off from your system. But a good thing for that is actually using an inline filter. These are easy to use and replace, and they're certainly a lot less expensive than having to replace even guard columns or, or definitely more better than replacing an um, analytical column. You want to install an inline filter between your auto sampler and your column. It's there to remove seal debris or your um, auto sampler rotor debris or even sample particulates, things that might be precipitating out um, before um, you reach the top of the column. It's a really good idea to um, have things like that around to, to help protect the column. Again, it will give you a much better lifetime out of your column.
1: All right, this is really useful information, Rita, and any wisdom uh, as we wrap up today's episode?
0: Yes, I do have one final thought I would like to leave everyone with, and that is remember your column is the best filter you can find, but don't use it as one. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> when it, when we discussed this before we turned on the microphones here, it, it actually got me laughing. But that's really true. Yeah. Uh, if you think about it. I mean, there's other things you can do, too. We didn't discuss today, but I know in other episodes with Paul, I remember discussing mobile phase, you know, mm-hmm. keeping your mobile phase clean and,
0: yes. and things yep. like
1: that. I mean, th- th- those are huge. Um, this all kind of adds up to really um, doing good chromatography and making sure that your system and your instrument's ready and... Certainly your instrument can be in great shape, but if your column is a mess, Mm -hmm. you're really not going to be doing good chromatography. So I'm glad we went through uh, some of the basic things you can do. Uh, Certainly, this is a good reminder. Some of you may be already doing some of these things. Uh, Some of you may have been shy about doing some of these cleaning Mm -hmm. steps, thinking that it was going to harm the column. I mean, certainly look, uh, you know, get in touch with the manufacturer of your column. Um, Certainly call Agilent. Uh, We'd be more than happy to to help you step you through what it would take to get the most life out of your column. In some cases, you may have already done some irreparable damage to your column. And then, you know, and, and then we can put things in place like Um, you know, guard columns and and inline filters so that it doesn't happen again. So I really appreciate your time with us today, Rita. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Peak Tales. For more information on what was discussed today, contact your local Agilent representative or go online to agilent.com.